FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Welcome everyone to the Football Bosses Program here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Chris Appleford with you in the absence of Tony Pinata and Michael Zapponi who are both enjoying a well-earned rest. On tonight's 2017 Best Of Program, we're going to listen back to a couple of the great interviews the boys did with some special guests across the course of the year. Of course, we're going to go back to our interview that we did with Greg Griffin, the Adelaide United chairman, and also Mark Kingsman, the former boss of the Brisbane Roar. But first, we're going to kick things off with an interview we did with the boss of the Hyundai A-League and the Westfield W-League, Greg O'Rourke. We thank you for joining us on Football Bosses, uh, Greg. Good evening, Zappa. Mate, uh, we did say at the top of the show that uh, we had a massive reaction uh, last week uh, when we had Greg Griffin on, uh, and uh, we won't uh, touch any of those issues tonight because uh, we have been in touch with the CEO, David Gallup, and, and Dave said he's more than happy to address any of those issues uh, when he comes on the show in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we'll park that uh, discussion for the moment, but uh, we want to talk to you about the A-League and the W-League, and... Obviously, you'd be pretty excited about uh, the W League kicking off this weekend. I can't remember a lead into a W League season. It's been so big. We had the Matildas in town uh, in Australia last month and uh, two magnificent crowds. And the, the star factor has really built with, uh, with these uh, girls that are playing the game at the moment. So it's a, a perfect storm, I, th- I suppose, as we lead into week one of the W League. Yeah, no, it uh, has been a great leading, as you say, Zappa. I mean, we had plan to do quite a few very different things this season anyway, um, particularly have the more and more double-headers and have the 25 double-headers with the A-League games, um, broaden our um, broadcast offer, if you like, with two games a week on Fox and then also those two games being simulcast on SBS2 on Viceland. Um and, and just a whole different approach. We had the pre-season CBA agreed with the W League players. And, um, you know, it was all going really, really well and just amplified, as you say, with success of uh, the Matildas. And this weekend, you kick off with uh, a grand final replay, which is, uh, which is a nice way to kick off with uh, Perth Glory up against Melbourne City. Yeah, we did exactly the same in the A-League and... Uh, you know, the want was to be consistent, right? It was to have a grand final replay in the A-League and do exactly the same in the W-League. And, uh, you know, even more important, I suppose, if you think that you're looking at uh, the superstar Sam Kerr returning and having her first game on home soil in her W-League uh, team um, as being on, on night one, you know, and that's the second game on that uh, day. Friday will actually start a bit earlier on the East Coast with Sydney FC up against Brisbane Raw and that game could see up to you know 10 Matildas uh, take the field between the two teams. Hey Greg, Tony Pignano, how are you? Hey Tony, good to hear you man. Hey, um, have you announced the FFA Cup venue yet? <laughs> no we haven't, we're going to uh, announce it uh, tomorrow. We Feel free uh, to give spent... us a scoop Greg, just, no, just well, we're amongst yeah. friends here. <laughs> <laughs> the scoop will be that uh, we'll announce it tomorrow. But look, you know, as as you know, having been in role last uh, year, it's uh, it's not an easy decision, and you need to take into account a number of factors: football factors, travelling factors, uh, commercial factors, um, and the essence of the FFA Cup, if you like, in respect of what does it represent. So many things um, to take into account, and some of those. Um, pieces of information, if you like, um, we're still waiting on, but we'll we'll have them by nine o'clock in the morning, and then we can announce um, within a couple of hours after that. Well, either either way you go, you're going to either have Scott Barlow call you or Greg Griffin call you and uh, give you an earful like uh, like last year, Greg. You know that. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I understand that uh, it's not just for the FFA Cup final that uh, you sort of make fifty percent of the. Uh, Team's happy one day and then the other 50% not so happy. But, you know, that's football. Um, look, I think the decision-making 
needs to be what's the right thing for, for football. I mean, I always try to think a little bit further than just that one game. You know, I'm trying to think about what what we can make the FFA Cup into and what does it represent. So not just where's this game scheduled, but, you know, what what is its opportunity to make the FFA Cup and the FFA Cup final something very special on our calendar? Because it's a um, huge advantage playing at home, and we've seen, you know, the last FFA Cups, all the home teams have won it, even the A-League final, you know, the home team wins it um, most of the time. So, you know, if you decide on those grounds, you're going to disadvantage one side uh, heaps. I, I don't know, you know, I've always said maybe sometimes just even draw lots, you know, bring them in the Fox Sports, bring the two captains in, and then that takes all that equa- out of the um, equation. So... Yeah, no, look, I, definitely, definitely something we should uh, think about. And um, you know what it's like, though, when you draw lots, even in the earlier uh, rounds, if you like, of the uh, FFA Cup, when you get to the round of 32 and 16, etc. Um, you know, the Twitter goes off that the uh, somebody's got warm balls and cold balls in those pots. And, you know, <laughs> there's also the conspiracy theory. So... Um, you know, many different views about how do you go about it, but I still think you'll have 50% of the people hoping and 50% of the people not so. Yeah, I've hosted a few of those uh, draws live on Fox Sports, Greg. I can uh, dispel any myths there. There's there's nothing untoward going on with those balls in those pots. Um, from, a, from a spectacle, though, uh, you know, you look at Hindmarsh Stadium, and we are discussing it a little bit earlier, a, a packed Hindmarsh Stadium of 17,000 um, certainly looks better and feels better um, than than twenty thousand at Allianz, if if that's what you were to attract, so um, and probably less than that. Let's be honest at, at Sydney uh, for a midweek fixture. So, uh, f- from that point of view, uh, f- you know, if you're sitting uh, in the neutral uh, part of this conversation, you think, well, you'd much rather be at Pinemarsh with a with a packed venue. Yeah, I mean, you need to take that into consideration clearly, right? And and what does that look like on broadcast? Um, but you know, it's not it's not the only factor. Um, it's a large factor. But you know, the other factors that you would you would take into account would include things like you know, if Sydney FC were to um, not host, if you like, based on the fact of the size of their stadium and the fact that they might be able to attract the same crowd number that you could in a smaller boutique stadium, uh, such as Coopers or. Um, some of the other smaller stadiums that we play, you know, Central Coast, Newcastle, etc. Um, you know, is that sort of the fair thing to do as well, to say, well, we'll never have a Sydney FC home game in the FFA Cup final because their stadium is too big. So, you know, there's, there's plenty of those things. There's the fixtures that are already scheduled around the Sydney FC games. There's a schedule around the... Um, Cooper's games, I mean, if you think about another one of the things that uh, would happen in High March, if we play it in High March, then 10 days later, the exact same fixture will also be played in Cooper's. So, you know, you'll have the same fixture 10 days apart. So it's not easy, and all those sorts of things go into the decision-making before we pop out with a clear answer. But even when we get to an answer, it won't be one that is uh, crystal clear because there will be pros and cons for both. You can blame the Wanderers for all this, Greg. <laughs> always blame the Wanderers. Yeah, well, Sydney FC will always blame the Wanderers. But yeah, now I understand that uh, you know if it had come into uh, if Wanderers had beaten Adelaide, the decisions um, might have been a bit different. At least the state would have been confirmed or the city. Yeah. Now. Uh, I want to have a chat about uh, the the lead into the A League, and I, I did see a report during the week about uh, the promotion, and uh, I think you were quoted uh, as saying that you know you haven't spent a lot of money early on, uh, wanting to to save that uh, for later in the season. Can you explain the reasons behind that? Yeah, a couple of things. I, I suppose you know there is a limited amount of cash in any sport. Um, you know, particularly we get compared to. Um, NRL and AFL um, and cricket and all three of those um, particularly have much larger incomes based on broadcast so therefore we have to cut our cloth and I know the general punter doesn't um, like to hear that but you know it's a fact a fact is that our income base from our um, Fox deal if you like which is well publicised is significantly lower 
than our competitors and you know therefore we we need to act differently now the the plan this year or the strategy this year is that we found last year consistent with um, the years before that as well that the popularity if you like of our game or at least the attendability of our game dropped off quite significantly as the um, rounds progressed, if you like, and you know we were criticised at that point in time for not having enough marketing to sustain 27 weeks of home and away. So the strategy has changed a bit. We didn't go with the big bang. We went with um, what could be considered quite a soft launch. Um, used some big games, if you like, on the calendar to do a lot of our marketing by scheduling. So, you know, started with the grand final replay, then followed up with the Melbourne Derby, followed up with the Sydney Derby on the same weekend as the um, Adelaide-Melbourne uh, Victory Clash in Adelaide Oval, which was their um, Adelaide's first home game, round three at Adelaide Oval. So, you know, to do that, but then to have money to spend on, you know, rounds 10 to... 18 and rounds 19 to 27 so that um, we continue to do that. We've got some some good plans, um, some things I want to sort of keep close to my chest at this point in time. But I'm sure that, um, you know, when the season's finished, people will be able to say that, you know, this time the A-League well, it didn't start with a big bang and then sort of be run down. It was a fairly consistent and continued to be... Um, you know, showing metrics improvement year on year. Greg, you've been disappointed with the um, TV ratings on um, Channel 10 or 1? Yeah, but, well, it, it actually needs to sort of be looked at in respect. We always knew we were going to build it, Tony, and so if you look at round one, the first um, week's ratings were 117,000 um, against Fox's 107. So, I mean, the first thing to notice there is that you know, we were doubling our um, our audience that we were normally getting on a Saturday night if you, um, you know, moved to the fact that SPS2 was a Friday night fixture before and we didn't have that. And we knew we were going to build it. When we spoke to Channel 10 about their one programming, we expected to land at a forecast of about 1.5 or 1, 1.5x what we get in Fox. So if you get 100,000 on Fox that would extend to be 150,000 on one. So you know, 117 against 107 was starting there. The following week, round two, which was the Melbourne Derby, was heading in the right direction. It grew again to 126 against uh, Fox's 121. What was um, you know disappointing but you know fairly explainable, if you like, was the round three uh, TV audience, which Fox was still consistent at 113. But the General One program dropped off uh, down to 93,500, so dropped off by about 30% from the previous week, which is disappointing. But I don't want to make excuses, but uh, the reality is that Channel 10 ran the Bledisloe Cup um, on their primary channel and us on their secondary channel head-to-head. And the... Um, numbers of sports-loving fans that are not A-League fans, which are the people we're trying to attract through the free-to-air Channel 1, um, preferred to watch the Bledisloe than move across and watch us. What we did notice was the reach wasn't too um, too different, but what actually did happen is um, I think people got a sniff that the Wallabies had a chance of beating the All Blacks and hadn't done so for a long time after the Wallabies had scored earlier. And uh, people sort of switched off the A-League and switched back onto the Bledisloe to uh, to wait and see how that was done. So we're expecting, you know, not going head-to-head with any major other sporting event this uh, Saturday or, you know, in the foreseeable future until we get to the Big Bash that um, we'll build back. And that's what we're going to work on. Yeah, great explanation, Greg. And that's, uh, that's why we uh, talk to people like you. You know, you know, you know the answers. Now, expansion. Um, yep. It's something that um, you know my twittering tweets over the last few days have been asking about that. Um, we meant to get something back in February, never happened. I know FFA looking at the um, the, the financial model of the clubs and uh, and what's uh, what what's happening there, but um, I feel that you know it is stagnating a little bit. 
You know, 10 teams, it's been 10 teams for a long time. Um, you know, we need to start this expansion, expansion process. So can you explain where we're at with uh, with expansion and what's happening, the criteria, everything around, around that? Yeah, happy to do so, Tony. So um, I think the first point I'd like to make on expansion is that there is no... Um, alternate view held by myself or anyone else in the FFA that we shouldn't be expanding. So um, everyone is aligned that we need to expand and there's been a lot of work done at the FFA in respect of expansion. Um, you know, um, we engaged um, third-party consultants to basically proof um, the work that we had done just to make sure that it was... Um, you know, on the money in, in respect of, you know, the data analytics you need and, and the sort of futuristic thinking that you need about what does growth look like in uh, Australia for this game and for population and growth corridors, etc. And, you know, all that work was done and we know exactly now um, where would be our target um, expansion areas. So the question then comes, well, if you've done all the work and you've got all the stuff, why haven't you entered the marketplace with, you know, asking for expressions of interest? And and the reason for that um, comes back to the work we're doing with the existing 10 A-League clubs on what is a different operating model for the A-League. As most people will be aware, around the um, globe, you know, the professional game in many places is completely separated from the uh, Football Association. So if you were to look in uh, England, of course, you have the EPL separate to the English FA. In, in America, you have the MLS um, separated from US soccer and you know the J-League separated from the JFA, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, we're exploring that model with the clubs um, and we're well down the track on, on doing that. And then the matters of Congress came up and the dispute, if you like, between... Um, the clubs, to speak frankly, and, and the FFA in respect of what Congress looks like has just um, parked all that other work, which was, you know, collaborative, consultative. And I think David uh, Gallup sort of put it well when he said that, you know, you can't have people in one room um, sort of working very collaboratively between the clubs and the FFA and then, you know, another party in the next room um, working in a very different way. You need you need to sort of finish one thing and then you know, restart, if you like, to work on the expansion. So as soon as we finish that, that piece of um, work around Congress and around an independent um, or separated or structured different A-League, um, once that work is restarted, because it's not as if we need to start it, we've done all the work, just got to restart it, then expansion will be um, back on track. And then hopefully, you know, the seasons that we spoke about before of 2019-20, um, you know, we'll be looking to expand the A-League. So not next season, uh, the season after that, basically. Yeah, that's still the intent, right? And that's based on a want from all parties to get back to the table and uh, work through this because, you know, whether it's the FFA, um, whether it's the clubs or whether or not it's just the general public, everyone's aligned to uh, to expand. And there's a lot of people you know, in the marketplace that have done a lot of work who want to be considered for, um, you know, to be the next expansion club. So... Um, we, we need to reconnect all that. And what, what will the criteria be? Will you release the criteria or the conversation that you have with uh, interested parties who've sort of proactive, proactively have come to you? We will release it publicly. It'll be a public expressions of interest um, and, and, you know, it'll also be a clear statement about not only what is the criteria but also the target um, geographies, if you like, that we'll be looking at um, now, that doesn't mean we won't consider applications from outside those, but, you know, we'll have a preferred position. That preferred position will be based on, you know, again, I'll quote David before, you know, fish where the fish are, you know, just make sure that, um, you know, we can grow the whole of the game because what we need to do is not just add an 11th and a 12th club, but we actually need to add uh, another couple of clubs and maybe another couple after that, but actually that bring the whole of the league forward. We can see advantages in some markets of derbies and we can see the disadvantage in some markets of not having 
um, a derby. And, you know, unlike AFL and unlike NRL where many teams play each other and the away fans can simply drive to the uh, opposing ground to watch their team and, you know, many games are played with a reasonable amount of away fans... We don't have that really outside of derbies because, you know, you, you see games the other week, Sydney FC versus Wellington Phoenix, you know, um, a reasonable turnout of Sydney FC people, but the Wellington Phoenix, as you would expect, which is an international flight, you know, would have been lucky to have 40, 50 people there. So, you know, there's a lot of dynamics inside our game which is incomparable to others where, you know, they can get a tram. Um, to the opposing club and, and sit comfortably and watch their team as the opposition. We did call uh, for questions on Twitter. That was one of them. And uh, another one uh, comes uh, to you, Greg, uh, around the $300,000 per club in marketing, which has gone uh, back to the clubs. Is that right? And and is that how the structure uh, worked with, uh, with that marquee fund? Yeah, so... It's a good question, right, because I wouldn't mind explaining it, right? So contractually with Fox, um, under the new agreement, there was $3 million that was put aside for what was uh, labelled the marquee fund. Um, With the intent that it had been over the last couple of years where the league um, would look to subsidise either one or two clubs, probably given history, um, to go and get a big-name international marquee and bring them into... Um, our league and then, you know, spiked the interest in, you know, this, the way that, you know, Tony was able to do when he, when he signed Del Piero. Um, however, in speaking to the CEOs and uh, club owners this time, you know, a couple of different dynamics. One was that those sorts of players that were going to come here were priced out of the A-League bracket, they were quite expensive, um, you know, double, tripled what they'd been three, four years ago in playing in Asia and playing in other parts of uh, leagues like the MLS. Um, and what that was doing was leaving those players that were wanting to come to Australia, if I could put it that way, to be um, right towards the end of their career. Um so, you know, the question became, do we really want to bring someone to this league that is really, um, you know, not going to really cut it with the rest of the quality in the squad? And we also found that most of the coaches, the A-League coaches, became more disinterested in bringing somebody like that to the league for what it would do with team dynamics, team quality, etc. So what we decided to do was to use the $3 million and to break it evenly so that every club all 10 clubs would A, have access to the money, but B, we tag the funding to say that your 300000 has to be committed against the plan, which they've also provided us, against building heroes, local heroes, um, from within your team. Now, it could be that they use an international marquee, and you can see the quality of most of the internationals that have already arrived in our shores, on our shores for the last uh, three rounds, has been significant. Use the money to promote them in the marketplace. Maybe use a homegrown player to promote in the marketplace and maybe somebody else in your club that actually just have the X factor that you would like to promote. Because one of the things that we see in other codes that we don't necessarily see in our code yet is that there is a lot of player worshipping in the AFL, uh, player worshipping in the NRL where certain key players are recognisable on the street, people walking around on weekends with their jerseys on with their players' names on the back. And we don't have a lot of that in the A-League. So a lot of that is due to a lack of exposure. Um, It's also due to the fact that a number of our players swap clubs probably too regularly. Um, and people don't become these local heroes. So you don't get the 10-year players very often. Now, we've got a handful of them, but, you know, AFL and NRL have got players that have played at certain clubs for, you know, 10 years all their life, if you like. And, you know, so we, we're using that 300000 It's part of a $3 million package, and I like to talk to the CEOs about it's a $3 million package 
of building local heroes. And you know, to to some degree, this is this is um, what we're starting. And as I said, you won't see all this money being spent in rounds one, two, and three because we've got 27 rounds to go. But the plans from the 10 clubs, um, for the most case, are very strong about how do we uh, achieve this. Greg, thanks very much uh, for answering all of our questions uh, tonight and uh, spending uh, a good deal of time with us. Um, we could have had you on for a whole hour. There's plenty of questions to throw at you, but we'll let you get back to your dinner. Yeah, back to my desk. Okay, no problem. <laughs> thanks, Greg. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Greg. Guys. That was the boss of the Hyundai A-League and the Westfield W-League, Greg O'Rourke there. Stick around after the break. We're going to hear from Adelaide United Chairman... FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR, Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to FNR Football Nation Radio and the Football Bosses Program. Chris Appleford here with you in the absence of Tony Pinata and Michael Zapponi who are away on a holiday. Before we went to the break, we heard from A-League and W-League boss Greg O'Rourke. And now we're going to go back to an interview we did with the very forthright, the very opinionated, the man in charge of Adelaide United, the chairman there, Greg Griffin. Greg Griffin, welcome to the Football Bosses. Good evening, gentlemen. Hey, Greg. Hey, Tony. One of, one, one of the great bosses uh, in the competition is Greg. And uh, we'll start off uh, talking about Adelaide United, Greg, because uh, at the end of last season, it was a difficult period for the club. You uh, had a, a, a bad season on the park. We know that uh, a couple of seasons ago was outstanding and, and won your first A-League championship. And uh, it was uh, brilliant to be in Adelaide and, uh, and see it unfold. But uh, on the park, it didn't go as well. Uh, in the following season, a difficult decision and conversations around your coach, uh, Guillaume Moore, uh, who was a wonderful bloke and uh, coached the team beautifully in that first season. Uh, but uh, the decision was made to part ways with him and then a lot of speculation. Well, no, no, he made that decision, to be honest, Michael. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And and then and then there was uh, obviously speculation around uh, Gabriel Batistuta and other coaches. But uh, just talk yeah. us through all of that. And, and uh, it's been a fantastic start on the park, so I'm sure you're pleased with where you landed. Well, I mean, obviously last year was just simply horrible, and if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. Um, but anyway, you have to, you either sit there and cry, roll up in the corner and cry, or get on with it. And so when the season ended, our actual our Champions League season wasn't bad. Uh, I thought that we were the best performing team of all three in the Asian Champions League by a long way, um, but that was just a mere compensation for a pretty awful A-League season, which, uh, if you have, you have to be honest, that's exactly what it was, awful. When we lost games, we shouldn't have lost. Um, so this year we've we've had to basically, uh, it's a bit of a ground zero job. And fortunately, we've got a really good football department and everyone's worked very hard and uh, it looks like um, all the decisions that have been made you know, looking pretty good. And Marco Kurtz has uh, certainly come over with a reputation. All the players I've spoken to said we've never worked so hard in our life. Double sessions uh, in the preseason, still going with double sessions. And uh, I think the fruits of his labour have shown uh, in the first couple of weeks, finishing very strongly against Brisbane Raw on the weekend and uh, securing those three points and looking forward to a big night at Adelaide Oval this weekend. Yeah, look, that's true. I mean, Marco and Philip are very professional. I mean, they, they literally, they, they work 12-hour days um, and they have that expectation coming from the very competitive German Bundesliga that everyone works at that level and everyone's bought in. And that's the great benefit here is that they've come, uh, they've also, all the, the, the players that we had who stayed have bought into it but more importantly, in terms of recruitment, I mean, we wouldn't have picked up Corinne, we wouldn't have picked up uh, Daniel, we wouldn't have picked up um, Stefan. Um, Johan, sorry, there's another Stefan that we didn't get. Uh, Johan, um, without um, the fact that they all wanted to play under Mark. So, you know, it's, it's been a really good move for us. Well, congratulations so far. So it's early days, um, Greg. Yeah, um, two games in, I'm not, I'm not going to no, right. have the keg just that's yet. That's right. 
But um, <laughs> no, we're all about uh, money in, in business and in football. And, um, yeah, yeah, a couple of questions come in. And one which um, you know, we started the show with uh, was about uh, the A-League model. And um, I know a lot of work has, has been done on the, uh, the revenue side. Can you bring us up to speed how that's going with the FFA? So the FFA are very difficult to deal with, uh, to put it mildly, um, and unless they actually have a complete change of heart, then I don't think that they'll be there much longer. Uh, that's my view. Um, I mean, basically, the A-League accounts are around 75 80% of the revenues for the game in this country. Um, at the moment, the, the clubs, which are without doubt the mainstay of the game, are being starved of resources. And, Tony, you'd know that from looking at your budget, seeing what it costs to put a team on the park and seeing what dividends you get. It's, it's simply it's, it's driving good clubs into financial stress. And there's no reason for it. The money's there. Um, and unless and until the FFA either voluntarily or someone else comes in, takes a different view, um, the, ga- the game is being held back by the, the, I think, the uncommercial and the, um, shall I say, vindictive attitude of uh, the FFA to the clubs. I mean, when I... Um, yeah, when I... Yeah, no, that's, that's what I expected from you, Greg. Um, mm. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I left, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, 3.7 million. Um, is that still the case, what, what clubs are getting in cash? Not, not contra, but just purely cash? Oh, look, the, the cash component's just 3.1, 3.2. Thank okay. uh, you. I mean, but I mean, the discretionary... I actually think that's probably greater than it is, to be honest, because on top of that, uh, we just keep on being loaded with more expenses. And uh, everyone seems to be getting more money except the clubs who are the engine room. I mean, you, you see Stephen Lowy and David Gallup stand up and talk and they say the A-League is the engine room. But then, you know, basically all they have done since they've been in control for the last two years is starve the A-League funds. And God knows where they're going, but I'll find out on Monday because I'll be inspecting the books and records. So that'll be interesting. So uh, obviously at the moment, Greg, we've got uh, the FFA who've uh, called an extraordinary general meeting on the 1st of November. They said that that's to vote on resolutions to change the FFA's constitution uh, and in their words, in order to expand representation on its Congress. Now, well, that's the, just rubbish and bullshit, if you know the truth. Well, that, yeah. that, 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 their words. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us about... The, the current impasse, I know you've played a big role in uh, working with the clubs to change this constitutional model. Where are we currently sitting? And uh, well, well, essentially you've got FIFA and AFC saying at the moment you cannot have one stakeholder controlling the composition of the Congress or the board. At the moment the federations with 90% of the vote, the, the clubs have 10%, which is, I mean, we're equivalent of Tasmania, or Northern Territory. Look at it that way, which contribute probably 1%, if that, of the revenues, and we, we, we actually produce 75 to 80%. Um, so we have no right. We, we have no say. And so FIFA have come in. Now, this has been going for seven years. It's just that the board of the FFA kept it secret, of course, because if they had disclosed to the clubs the fact that FIFA were saying this is undemocratic, this is in breach of our statutes, then this fight would have been had seven years ago. So to put, so basically there are some very angry clubs for good reason. So FIFA and AFC have come. We've actually had some very productive meetings with the PFA because we've seen from the same hymn sheet as them in terms of a democratic uh, congress. And we've twice reached agreement with the federations, the state federations, as to a 9551 split of the votes, and twice that has been um, sabotaged, that uh, deal, by the FFA board. So now that they can't get their own way and they've lost the Players Association and the clubs, they tried to get the uh, federations to, to move a motion for an EGM to push for the 9441. Now, the, the, the trick of the 9441 is it gives the federations... 60% control of the Congress, which means that every board position is still controlled by them. 
In the 14 years that the FSA board's been in operation, 14 years, seven members on the board, there have been 12 appointments in 14 years. It's a world record for incompetence, 12 appointments. Of the 12 appointments, all of which have been recommended by the existing board to the federations, there has yet never been an election. So what you've got is you've got a totally compliant federation, group of federations who sit there and do as they're told. Now, what uh, Stephen is putting forward for this 9441, it sounds like they're, they're increasing the democratic um, uh, spend, but they're not because they're maintaining on a 9441 proposal complete control of the board. It's the board that determines the distributions to the A-League clubs. It's the board that determines where the money spent, where the revenues are, are gathered from and where they're expended. So, in effect, what they're trying to do, it's all smoke and mirrors. They're trying to think that they're trying to put forward to the Australian public that they are making compromise. They are making no compromise. So they still have full and, control, as you said. So the, yeah, the, the so key they, number they, is that 60% is required to elect a board member, 50% required to remove, and 75% of votes are required to amend the constitution. So correct. if you were to get five into that model, five A-League clubs, uh, mm. it then gives you a, at least the power to, to have a say as to who's on the board. Is that, is that what you're well, aiming exactly for? exactly right. And more importantly, it means that we can block uh, basically board-driven appointments like every appointment thus far for the last 14 years has been driven by the board to put on the board people that they want. Greg, is it 9411? Because you're saying 9441. No, 9411. Yeah. 94, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. And the four Which is the federations put that, and we've rejected it, and the PFI have rejected it. So what happens... So the, the only body that accepts that is the body without a vote, which is the board of the FFA, which has been told by FIFA that their job is to convene the uh, consent, the, the meetings between the stakeholders, of which they are not one, but they insist upon asserting a position, as Stephen says, in the interest of the game, which in reality is the interest of the FSA board, which is to keep control. What they say is they can't trust the Players Association and the clubs to have the right to influence who is to be a board member. And that's what it comes down to. It's all about control and power. So my understanding, though, is if um, it gets past 9411, um, FIFA doesn't have to accept it because... No, FIFA will just come in and appoint a normalisation committee. So, so how, how it, close it, are we that? How close are we... Uh, well, I mean, I mean, basically, if FIFA do appoint the normalisation committee, it will be absolutely and completely the fault of the board of the FFA. They, they will stand accused of causing this disruption. So where do you think it's going to end up? So on the 1st of November, we have this EGM, which... Well, the EGM is probably going to be challenged, to be truthful. But and so that means that... Uh, it, You'll, you'll push for that meeting not to, not to, not to be held? Oh, look, uh, we're meeting on Tuesday to discuss whether we should injunct the EGM going forward because we say it's being pushed forward for an unlawful purpose, an improper purpose, which is to allow the board to maintain control of uh, the election process, which is in breach of the FIFA statutes, which is a pretty powerful argument. What are the, I don't want to get too involved in in the numbers, but I think we've got a fair understanding of where where the situation sits. You and the other A League clubs, I know you've been involved with working closely with Simon Pearce and, and some of the other yeah. chairman of the clubs. Well, we, we, we speak with one voice, Michael. Yeah, there's ten of us. We sing from exactly the same hymn sheet. So what what do you want to achieve out of all of this? Uh, understand greater power, greater say. But the end game, where, where do we need the game to head in the next couple of years? Are we talking about... Uh, you need an independent A-League. Let's, yeah. be, let's cut to the chase. And we don't think under this board, under the Lowy board, there will ever be an independent A-League that we will accept because of the fact we can't deal with Stephen as it is and he can't deal with us. So what prospect is there of, ever, of him putting a proposal for an independent A-League which is going to be vaguely acceptable to us? Now, unless and until there is a split of the A-League from the FFA, which has shown that it's not capable of running 
what it does now, the game will prosper if, if, the, if there's an independent A-League. We will bring in resources. We will bring in um, finances. It'll be, in five years, a completely different game. Our concern is that um, for so long as this current board remains in power, that um, there will be no change. And it suits them to stay in control because they'll continue to take all of the revenues that we create, which we spend and they don't, and, and then the game won't grow. Like, for example, new teams. I mean, basically they've been talking about new teams for four years. And then they come out and they invite all these offers from, from other potential club owners, then come out and say, no, there's no new teams for two more years. Well, I mean, basically the reason that they don't want a new team is they don't have a plan for a new team. They don't have a plan for a new A-League. And, and that's why there has to be an independent A-League. Let, let the board of the FFA run the national teams and grassroots referees and the like. So what they can't continue to do is purport to be able to run the A-League because they're just not up to it. We were talking about this earlier in terms of the lead into this season. It's it's been underwhelming. Uh, the marketing spend. Uh, I, I haven't seen the books. You could tell us. Uh, well, when no, it's three hundred thirty-seven dollars and twenty-six cents have spent so far. Yeah, it's been uh, almost non-existent. The uh, promotion oh. leading. Well, two into years the ago, that they did the same thing, and yeah. we complained bitterly at a meeting. So you know, heads rolled. Never going to happen again. And this year, it's worse. I mean, have you ever seen? I mean, for example, the the, the season launch at Port Melbourne. Football club? It was embarrassing. You are kidding me, aren't you? It was it embarrassing. Was, I watched it. And how many chairmen were there? I'll tell you the number. Zero. How many chairmen go to any events where Stephen and the board are? Zero. You know why? Because the love has left the room. And interesting, just looking at the Melbourne crowd on uh, on the weekend, 35,000 for a Melbourne derby at Etihad. No, I haven't terrible. looked at the numbers, but that, I think going back on history, that'd probably be the lowest one they've had at uh, Etihad crowd-wise. Yeah. Yes, it was the lowest. Yeah. But it's, it's not victory or city's fault. I mean, the fact is there has been no promotion of this season. And to suggest... Oh, look, I don't know what their plan is, because if, if they don't know what their plan is, how do we know what it is? That's the first thing. But, I mean, the, the spend has been zero. I mean, or if it's not zero, it's close to zero. And you can see, I mean, even the Western Sydney um, Sydney game is struggling for ticket sales. And it's struggling because this season has not been properly marketed. Yeah, look, it's... I mean, basically, it's the FFA board. It's cut your nose off to spite your face stuff. So they clearly don't want to be seen to do anything, which is to... Uh, assist the A-League, so what they're doing is doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got rid of their marketing department as well. And, um, yeah, you know, this, this weekend it's the Sydney Derby, which is, um, you know, sold out at Allianz the last six games, and it's, um, you know, could not could not sell out, possibly, yeah. and uh, that'll be an absolute travesty. Well, what I've actually asked our CEO today to, to do today, Tony, is to uh, check with the FFA to see how much money the FFA is now putting into promoting Sydney Derby because we have a game on Friday night at Adelaide Oval and I want to know, well, hang on, if if you're putting extra money into promoting the Sydney Derby, why aren't you putting money into the Adelaide United against Victory game on Friday night, which for many people, I mean, outside of Sydney, is a far bigger match. Well, last time you played at Adelaide Oval, would you have 40,000? Oh, last time we had 52,000. 52,000 for the grand final. <laughs> <laughs> that was the grand final. No, but against Victor, could, no, 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 could have fit Adelaide Oval twice that day. Yeah. I, I, think, I think we've been to 25, okay. um, which, I mean, on Friday, I mean, we're expecting a pretty good crowd, and that's absolutely nothing to do with um, the FFA's efforts, I might add. It's because, um, basically, I think the Adelaide public uh, are very, I think they're very happy with the recruitment, the new coach, the fact that they started the season positively, and Melbourne Victory. Melbourne Victory come here, and it's a big day. I mean, they're, they're, they're our traditional rivals, um, and I, I still think notwithstanding the lack of marketing and support, it'll be a successful night. 
I'm sure it will, and uh, I'll be there. I look forward to seeing you there uh, on Friday night, Greg. I'll even buy you a beer, Zappa. Oh, thanks, mate. Well, look forward <laughs> to that. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on our first show. Pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you, Greg. That was Greg Griffin there, the Adelaide United chairman, and he has got some strong opinions on how the game is being run at the moment. We're going to take a break now, but after the break, we're going to listen to an interview we did with the former boss of the Brisbane Roar, Mark Kings. FNR, Football Nation Radio. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to the 2017 Best of the Football Bosses program. Chris Appleford here with you. Tony Pinata and Michael Zapponi are away on holidays and they will be back in the new year. So far on the show, we've heard from W League and A League boss Greg O'Rourke and also Adelaide United chairman Greg Griffin. But now we are going to go back to an interview we did with the former boss of the Brisbane Raw, Mark Kings. Mark, thanks for joining us. No problem, guys. How are you? Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey over the last few months. Uh, we know that uh, Brisbane Raw has uh, got to the Bakery Group involved as uh, as the owners, and, and it's been a tumultuous uh, uh, period for the club over the last couple of years, ever since uh, they've been involved. Several uh, CEOs or managing directors have come and gone. Um, there's been issues around the training value at uh, at Brisbane. We've heard John Aloisi and Ross Aloisi speak consistently about uh, the difficulties that the, the club on the park has had to face uh, with uh, the difficulty around training facilities. And uh, we know that Brisbane doesn't have a front-of-shirt sponsor, uh, one of only two clubs uh, coming into this season without one. So uh, talk to us about uh, your experience and some of the difficulties uh, you had uh, as the managing director there this year. I mean, obviously, we, I mean, first of all, on the, the Ballymore pitch, then we've had we've had issues around the Ballymore pitch. Um, that, that's not... That's not a reflection on what's happened with the owners because um, the owners provided funds to, to, to pay for Ballymore, the use of Ballymore the Stadium up until January uh, when, we, when we were looking to move into to the new Logan premises. So that's certainly not come about because of issues in terms of funding, um, but I know it caused some consternation amongst the, 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 the coaching department um, Queensland Rugby Union did, uh, advised us that they'd increased uh, the amount of water that they were putting on the pitch by 33% um, to try and soften the pitch up. Um, but as, as most people probably know, we've had a very dry winter up in Queensland and that, that certainly you know, caused a few issues. So in an, in an ideal world, we'd have had even more water on there, but um, certainly that's not something that could come down to the owners. Um, Mark, it's um, Tony Pinata. Um, thanks hey, for coming on. I'm, I know we had a bit of a chat today, but um, do you want to just maybe go through what what happened the last few days? Because it, I think, came to a to a shock to a lot of um, people in in the game in football. Uh, you know, with um, you know, you you've been asked to leave. Yeah, I mean, as you know, Tony, that's football. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a, it was a shock, and um, you know, it's probably something when you when you look back over the last. Um, maybe two or three weeks, you could probably see it coming. Um, in in terms of uh, the way in which there was, there, there became a complete lack of communication from um, from from the ownership um, group there, and that that really, um, when you look back on it, you think, well, that that that, that was strange, um, and you and you can see it coming. But you you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, which made it easier. But um, certainly disappointed because I thought we were making headway. Uh, there's a lot of talk around the fact that we haven't got a front of shirt sponsor. You know, the, the, the total amount of sponsorship that we that we've got coming into the club in terms of cash and VIK was 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 um, slightly in excess of what we had last year. So it was it wasn't a bad position to to be in. And you mentioned obviously two clubs out of out of the ten. Um, obviously the Jets have got their owners company on the front so um that's that 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 could be considered maybe not not having an outside sponsor but um sydney who obviously uh, you know very well tony and ran away with the competition last last season um they've they've struggled to get one as well it's not easy as you know to uh, 
to raise those kinds of funds. More people uh, currently are interested in uh, the, the the youth development side of um, the, the the game and uh, and also the the, the women's game as it is, and, and that's where they're looking for sponsorship opportunities. Yeah, they Obviously are. And, yeah, and I agree, and um, I know that um, you know, Sydney have, uh, I think they're going to announce something um, probably tomorrow, which is uh, great for them. But uh, how long has the Bakery Group now been involved with uh, Brisbane Roy? Is it six, seven years? Six, six, six years, yeah. Is it time they go? I mean, they've been there six, seven years. I mean, Brisbane is such a huge market. Um, it's a, still, a, you know, only only Brisbane Roar in, in in the whole state. The potential is is huge, but it just seems to be that every year there's some issues around Brisbane Roar. Um, you know, and and you know, from reading and, and speaking with you, you've, you've you've even had to use your own credit card to pay some bills, etc. Which is not not yeah. what, what the football, you know, sort of CEO managing director should be doing. No, it's not. It's not, but it's something that we did, um, you, you know, and, it, and, all, and also not just me. In recent weeks, Brendan Boss, who, who, who was my general manager there, he, he also put his, his hand in the pocket and used his credit card. Um, I was I was disappointed that he had to do that, but it was it was in my absence. And, and no, you're absolutely right that that shouldn't happen. Um, but it's worth pointing out that, that, that those, those funds come back. Um, but we needed to go through... Um, we, we, well, we needed to make sure that, that the players were paid on time, um, that essential services were paid, um, so that we could we could continue to run a football club. And it, it, it's as it has been my understanding for the last six years, it's a timing issue. It's not about the owners not being prepared to invest. It's about when they it's about when they invest, um, and that's that's. That, that proved to be the problem in, in my case. That uh, and, and as you say, on many, many, many occasions, I had to put my hand into my own pocket um, to, 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 to pay, and as, and as recently as last week. Yeah, but that's, um, was, that's was not how you run thing. a uh, professional uh, football club. And uh, I know the FFA have got you know, bigger issues to deal with, etc., but they need to start you know, looking at the ownership structure we've had, you know, you know, we had the uh, the Newcastle and um, other owners, and I know they've been involved in in other clubs, etc. But um, you know, they just can't just sit back and worry about other stuff. They need to look at the whole structure because it does impact the whole league. And uh, and I think it's time that they uh, focus on on the Bakery Group and uh, and really you know sit down with them. I know they have in the past, and it's always the same thing. Yep, but then every year it's the same issue. And um, and uh, and I was re- actually really surprised that um, David went back today. David Pore was appointed the uh, managing director because I know why he left, you know, fifteen sixteen months ago, and um, he's back there. So uh, yeah, quite interesting move by David. Mark, you've been really close to it, obviously, for the last year and a half. What does Brisbane ne- Road need to do to? Uh, yeah, look, for me, I've been there many times, watched A League games. Suncorp's a wonderful venue, but for me, it's not an A League venue. It is too big for uh, for A League football. Uh, when you're watching it on TV, it just looks like there's no one there. Uh, the atmosphere when you're in the ground is great. But do, does the club need to look longer term at a better solution for uh, for a facility, not just for playing but for training as well? Well, I mean, obviously longer term we've got the, we've got the Logan solution, which is going to be phenomenal, um, in, you know, in terms of training. So, I mean, hopefully the boys will be there in January and training on that, which... Uh, which is which is a, a, a big big step forward. Um, obviously, with with Queensland Rugby Union at the moment, we're sharing a, a ground with uh, with rugby. So you, you, you've got mixed lines on there. You've got our lines are, are painted on red um, on a pitch as a football pitch, and you've got rugby posts um, there. So by the nature of that, a pitch has to be slightly shorter than we would obviously like because we've got to put goalmouths in in front of rugby posts. So it's not it's not ideal. But when I when I joined the club last August, it was you know we didn't have anywhere. We had nowhere to train at all. I mean, uh, so we, we were faced with a situation we had nowhere at all. And the the football department had uh, had done some research, and that's where they wanted to to train. And uh, we were able to secure that. And and it, it, it's it, it's not ideal, but it was it was a whole lot better than what it was um, when when when, I, when we started. So that's that's important. But we've got the Logan as a development. Um, you, you, you know, Suncorp Stadium is Tony. You and I have, have, have spoken about this many times in the past, but it's a fifty-two thousand seat stadium. It's twice the size of Amy Park. It's a fantastic stadium. There's no question about it. Sometimes the playing surface needs a, a lot to be desired, but they've got a, 
they've got to make money somehow, so they've got to put um, other events on there, which obviously we'd rather not. We'd rather have a, a stadium just just entirely for ourselves. But there's not another stadium that works for us in in or works for Brisbane Roar in in, um, in 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 the location. Until that happens, then we 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 have to work with SunCorp Stadium as best we can. And um, you know, when you when you're paying for one of the biggest stadiums in the country, um, that's going to cost you. I mean, yeah. we're, we're playing we're playing in a ground that's bigger than Anfield. And I think, um, and I think that's the key. I think we need to look to the future, and and we talk about you know promotion and relegation. We talk about second division, and I think we need to have in that same conversation uh, a conversation around stadiums. And 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 uh, we know that in the US is a different story with the financial models, but a lot of the clubs own their sta- same stadiums. Until we have that situation, it's always going to be difficult for uh, for clubs to turn a profit or to to fill the venues because uh, the US has gone through that change over the last decade, and and uh, they're all the better for it. But, uh, you know, we know that Ballymore is there. It needs a lot of work. Uh, but one of the advantages I think that New South Wales and Queensland have is they do have more rectangular venues to, to work with. And uh, and in the longer term, I think they're the conversations um, we need to start having. Oh, if you had, a, if you had a, the equivalent of Seabus Stadium in Brisbane, then that would be fantastic. I think every supporter would agree with that, that if you could get that type of more boutique type of stadium um, there, then, then that would be amazing. But it would still come under the stadium's Queensland um, go- governance, and, and that would be an issue as well. So when you start looking towards outside investment, and then you think, well, okay, that's that's fine, I build it, but then I've got to hand the keys over to stadium's Queensland, because as soon as you hit ten thousand capacity, they take control. Um, so you, you you could well end up in a, in exactly the same situation that, that you're with right now. That you, you you know you're paying you're paying a lot of money. Um, and whilst, whilst you've got that and it comes under that control of the government, then, then they're going to question, well, we've already got a stadium that can accommodate it. OK, it's not ideal. So you've got to question that. And we were working with we were working with government at um, both, both state, federal um, and, obviously, and obviously local level. And uh, you know, Brendan Boss and myself were down with um, the, the federal minister for sport down in Canberra just probably six weeks ago. And, and discussing, you know, discussing that and talking with the SFA around the possibilities of, of getting a, a boutique stadium in Brisbane on the back of the, the 2023 World Cup, um, you know, for the, the Women's World Cup, which gave us gave us a, a, a slither of hope that we could get our own stadium. Um, we are running out of time. On. We are running out, but it, it, it's encouraging to hear that those conversations are being had, and obviously there's still a lot. They were, they were being, they yeah. were being had. They weren't. <laughs> they, well, were we, being had. they were being had. They were. They were being had, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully, um, <laughs> you know, whoever, obviously David's picked up the mantle. I mean, in, in answer to the question, was I surprised about him going back? I'd love to have him, the, whoever, whoever sold him that. Um, the opportunity, I'd love to have them on board and, and, and trying to sell me a front of shirt because I'm sure that would have filled pretty quickly. And and, and um, finally, I know that uh, you've been involved in... Uh, the club itself has been involved in trying to get uh, their new signing, Eric Baltek, uh, the Frenchman, uh, to Australia. I, I understand there's good news today. The, the visa's finally come through. Uh, why did it take so long? I, I mean, I think there's... I mean, from what, what I've been told, and obviously we've had a lot of conversations and again I'd like to, to, to thank a lot of people that, that helped around that with the Raw Supporters Federation, the, the leader there that was active in trying to to get that push forward and, and we also had, as I say, um, government, uh, uh, our local MP um, it was, 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 was working on that for us as well. So we had a lot of support. I believe it was an issue between the way in which uh, the, the French immigration sent through information to Australian uh, our, our own immigration departments and the fact that it's not automatically read, it had to be manually read um, and in a world where everything's automated, that took that took some time and uh, you, you know, we were told several times it was on top of the pile and you wouldn't want to be one of the people on the bottom of the pile, that's for sure but, um, but we, 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 they were obviously pleased. It was good that that came through on Monday so we started the day off with some, some good news and, and having that on Monday and then obviously Monday afternoon I've got some some less than good news, but uh, you know he he arrived, I believe, today, and well, he did arrive today, and he, he'll be a, he'll be a fantastic in, in addition to the side. Mark, we thank you for joining us uh, on the show, and uh, we wish you all the best. No problem, guys. Thanks so much. All the best.
That was Mark Kingsman there, the former boss of the Brisbane Raw. We're going to take a break now here on the Football Bosses Program 2017 Best of Edition. Coming up after the break, we're going to wrap up the show. FNR, Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Welcome back to FNR Football Nation Radio and this very special 2017 Best of the Football Bosses edition. Tony Pinata and Michael Zapponi will be back with you again in 2018 for plenty more hard-hitting interviews here on the Football Bosses program. I'm Chris Appleford. Thanks for joining us here on this very special edition of the Football Bosses program. Stick around here on FNR. Plenty more to come. Here comes the money. Here we go. Brought to you by DKP and Co. Chartered Accountants and Aspire Planning Group. Football Bosses with Michael Zapponi and Tony Pinata on FNR Football Nation Radio. Here comes the money. 